riding down a flat track bottle in a brown sack pistons pumping in a poor boy's cadillac cross the mississippi crazy on the pale moonlight lord i'm gonna be the devil to see my angel tonight this is the only one shot golf podcast and i'm jim gallagher jr Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts, and you can get the book Only One Shot by B.J. Trollio, and that's available on Amazon. Today I have PJ Tour winner and Golf Channel analyst Kurt Byram on the podcast. He grew up in South Dakota alongside his brother Tom, who's also a PJ Tour winner. He's currently playing on the PJ Tour Champions. Like most of us, he played all the sports and He's quite the basketball and football player as well. And, of course, his golf game shined uh, as he went to uh, University of New Mexico and then later on to the PGA Tour. Um, and it turned into a very successful TV career. So let's hear from uh, Kurt Byron. Well, you've heard his voice on the PGA Tour on the Golf Channel. His name's Kurt Byron. We all know him by that. Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good to be here, Jim. Well, you've been a busy man. You always are busy, but uh, I always like to ask my guests kind of how they got started playing golf. And, of course, you had a younger brother that played like me, uh, and so you guys played a lot together. But uh, growing up in South Carolina, who got you – or South Dakota, who got you started? Oh, uh, well, uh, my dad got us started. He was – he just got interested in it uh, from a guy that he bought insurance from, and it was just something to goof around with a little bit in the the summertime, you know, when we first started. So uh, that's you know, and then obviously growing up in South Dakota, we were only playing about three months out of the year. But you also grew up on sand greens, and I don't know if anyone that's listening knows <laughs> what those are. And well, they do because their greens are dead when they're sand. But you actually grew up on sand greens. Can you tell us about that and what that was like? Yeah, well, we did. You know, and that and really the little nine-hole golf course that we grew up on was a. You know, there, it wasn't irrigated, and you know, it was just. We'd go out and mow it once in a while. There was a guy that mowed it um, once in a while, and it was just a. Uh, yeah, it was weird. I mean, I didn't really play on any grass greens until I kind of started when I was around 10, and I don't think I played on grass greens until a couple of years later when I was 11. Wow. Or a year later or whatever, yeah. So it was just really, we just went out there and hacked it around the sand greens. You know, you kind of, you, you mopped a little track to smooth out the green. You put it on that. Uh, once you got the hang of chipping to sand greens, it was actually pretty easy because you could, kind of throw it all the way up in there by the hole and, and stop it around the hole pretty easily in that sand. So it was, it was good memories. Um, and it was a great way to, to, to really grow up and kind of learn the game in a way, uh, not without instruction. You know, we didn't have anybody, you know, my dad, whatever my dad was reading in 
you know, any of the golf magazines or the books that were out there or whatever on golf, that's, that's how we were learning. He would just say, let's go try this, you know, and we'd go out to the course. That was the other thing. We, you know, we all had a shag bag and we, whatever direction the wind was blowing, we'd get into the wind and hit right on the, the fairways out of this little nine hole golf course. So it, it was a pretty good way to grow up. You probably didn't have a lot of kids growing up playing golf. So, I mean, how did you tournament golf? I Cause you were in all the sports. You and Tom both played tons of sports, but you had to travel quite a bit probably just to play some tournament golf. Yeah. You know, it's funny when, when we were growing up and we were really young like that, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, all these little towns around central South Dakota had a, at a tournament on a Sunday, you know, every, every weekend there was a little tournament somewhere and I played a lot of those. And then a little, you know, I got into high school, obviously we started playing some high school golf, but, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot, you know, until I was, you know, a little older, maybe 17 that I first traveled to any kind of a national junior tournament. And, um, I qualified one year for, uh, the insurance youth classic and played that a couple of times in my, you know, in my teens and the U S junior, uh, one year I played in that. So, but they were pretty rare appearances for those things. It was mostly just local stuff. Well, you played all the you know football and basketball. Very good at both of those. I mean, what advice, I mean, there's a lot of parents that listen to this and even kids. I mean, what advice do you have for letting their kids play multiple <laughs> sports? I know, I know what your answer is going to be, but they got to hear it from you. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of it personally. I, I just hate seeing kids having to be pigeonholed only for golf or only for baseball or whatever the sport happens to be. I hate seeing it at a really young, uh, young age. I, I get it once they're, junior year or something 16 17 years old then i I get it then you know you got to narrow it down and you're probably going to have to concentrate on that sport if you want to play at the division one level except so but boy when they're 11 12 13 14 years old i love to see them playing multiple sports i think it's good for their the the competitiveness the, the team aspect of that when they start playing college golf their team aspect there um i just think it's really good for them uh, and, and, you know, they're training for these other sports. So they're obviously they're lifting, they're running, they're doing all the, the movements that are preparing them for whatever particular sport, you know, that, that season that they're in. So I, I think all of that's good for their development. And, um, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of narrowing it down to one sport, especially when they're, uh, you know, 11, 12, and then early teens. I like to see it happen much later in high school. Yeah, it kind of runs that fear of, not fear, but I guess the risk of burnout, because I would think if that's all you did. How did you balance all those sports? Uh, and did you kind of keep in touch with golf while you're playing football and basketball? How did you balance those all those sports at the same time? Yeah, not really. I mean, it was just, you know, when you grew up in South Dakota with that kind of weather, you know, we played once the summer was over, um, you know, we started those two-a-day practices for football in late August. Um, so that was the end of golf really late in August, uh, no more than first of September. Um, you know, then you played football through, you know, kind of first week in December or whenever that ended. And then, you know, it was kind of basketball was already starting up. So you started playing basketball and then when spring rolled around, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a track guy. So then it was golf. So it was, it was more of a force thing. There wasn't any chance, you, you know, when it's, 25 degrees out and the wind's blowing 20 miles an hour in South Dakota. You're not going out 
you're not looking to go out and hit golf balls in practice. So it was really by force more than choice. Well, Bob Twice said that's a perfect day in Hedman. So I've just had to assume that was true. <laughs> he, he's, that's true. Yeah, you know, for those guys, they didn't handle it. But you mentioned national tournaments. Uh, you know, the recruiting process is so much different now than when we were playing. But what was that like for you? Because yeah. you end up ultimately picking New Mexico. But what was that process? And why did you go to New Mexico? Because that's a long way from home. Yeah, but it's a kind of a funny story. I, I, uh, but I remember it really well because it stuck with me. I, my cousin was playing on the women's team at Oklahoma State, and she was a starter, and she was, you know, she was on that team solid. And so I graduated early from high school in uh, kind of the winter, spring, whatever of my senior year, and so that freed me up for the last couple months there. And I went down there. And she and I got an apartment in Stillwater and sort of she just kind of broke the ice with people and and I had a place to practice. And so I got to know all the guys on the Oklahoma State golf team, the men's team, and was playing and hitting balls with those guys. And And so really, I wanted to go to Oklahoma State. And so one day I played with Mike Holder, who was the coach there. Obviously, he's a legend at Oklahoma State and in college, men's college golf. And we played, and after the round, we went in, we had lunch, and, and we went to his office afterwards, and he said, look, I, you know, you're not good enough to play here. And, you know, I was like, what? You're, you know, I was pretty devastated to hear yeah. that. And he said, I don't think you're good enough to play here at Oklahoma State until at least your junior year and maybe even your senior year. He said, so if I were you, I would go look for somewhere else to go. And, you know, years later, I, I you know, in talking to all, my, all of our buddies that, went to Oklahoma State that are, you know, you're in my age, I found out that he probably was just testing me at the time mm-hmm. to see if I was willing to stick it out and go to Oklahoma State and, and improve and, and eventually play. But I didn't know him well enough at the time. So I started looking for other schools to go, and I did a trip out out west to, you know, New Mexico, Arizona State, um, U of A back in the day, and – when we stopped at New Mexico, they, they still had uh, half a scholarship left, and I played well while I was there. And so they offered me that, and that's where I ended up. But I initially wanted to – I really wanted to go to Oklahoma State at the time, and uh, that didn't happen. Well, i tell you a funny story because uh, I ran a little hot sometimes. It's a junior golfer and eventually grew out of it about a week ago of getting angry on the golf course, but uh, uh, I was at the PGA Junior, and I kind of backhanded a putt, and I I made two doubles right in front of Coach Holder, but I was still in the top five, and I was just kind of throwing away shots, and he walked up to me. He said, son, you you can't play at Oklahoma State with that attitude, and I kind of looked at him, and I said, Coach, I really don't want to play at Oklahoma State, and I didn't really know anything about who he was or anything. I was like, well, that was a stupid stupid remark, you know, later on when I got to college going like, oh, I said that to him? Well, what an idiot, you know. So, you know, when you're 17 or 18, yeah. you, you think you know everything. But he was always oh, yeah. he, he was always nice to me. But they did. That was uh, he was pretty tough, and I think you know that's part of the that's part of his legend and and the way he did. Oh, yeah. he, he tested people a lot, but he he had a lot of success, and you can't argue with the success there. But you and I always laugh about it. But you know about when you go to school and you try to adjust to those things. But your intramural basketball team could probably beat a lot of 
college teams as good as they were. We were we always tease about that, but you guys had a pretty good little intramural basketball team going while you were uh, maybe in the off season playing golf. We did, you know. It's funny because you and I have had this conversation, but you know, we I I played in high school. My brother played in high school. We had another kid on the team down at New Mexico that that played in high school. So we put this team together, and then <laughs> a guy really fell in our lap one year. We had a kid. His name was Bill Lester, who was from Indiana, and he had been on a state championship winning team at Marion High School. And that is basically basketball central in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. You know all about Marion High School, right? So he had been a starter on this team up there. He was a guard. He was 6'5". He could jump out of the gym. Well, he came down to New Mexico to play basketball and partied his way off the basketball <laughs> team. So he... So his next thing was he was a pretty good player in golf, so he went out and he walked on for the golf team. So anyway, we said, come on, you're playing this intramural basketball team with us. Um, and, I mean, it was it was game on and it was a route. If we could just, you know, get him, on, get him to the games on time, it was pretty much going to be a route. That's all there was to it because he was running circles around. I mean, he was good enough to play Division One college basketball, yeah. so he was – you know, he was he was running circles around these little intramural teams we were playing. It was Bill Lester, and he, you know, all you had to do is team up with a, you know, alley oop dunk right in the first minute of the game, and they knew they were in trouble. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, because for those listening, that actually was my high school, and I actually watched him play, and they continued. It's part of the reason I got cut in tenth grade. It was guys like Billy who just graduated and won three <laughs> state. They didn't need me. Uh, but yeah. he was a heck of a player too, and y'all had some pretty good teams there. You mentioned your brother; he started there, but I believe he moved on to New Mexico State after that, uh, uh, maybe the first year or so. Yeah, we, you know, had, it, it was it's kind of a long story, but anyway, he got a little sideways there with the with the coach at New Mexico, and this is such old old news. But he, you know, he basically knew that he's he had a better chance if he went down to new, to, uh, new mexico state and uh you know he called up herb wimbley down there and herb said yeah come on down. so he went down there and sat out a year and you know it kind of worked out well for him because he got ahead at school in that year off and then you know my brother obviously turned into a, a heck of a player and i think he made second or third team All-America one of those years down in New Mexico State. So it turned out well for everybody. Yeah, you just never know when you're a kid. But I mean, what advice do you have for kids out there when they're looking for schools and you cover the NCAAs uh, in the national championship, uh, final championship the week of that? But what do you have advice for those kids out there looking at schools? What do they need to look for? What do they need to uh, kind of focus in and, and visits and stuff like that? You know, one of the things I, I talked to, the few kids that I do talk to about going and playing Division One college golf is that I, I I've always been a fan of going somewhere where you're fairly certain you're going to play right away as a freshman because I think, and and I think you and I agree on this, the best way to improve and get better quickly is to play competitive golf. It's not just to hit balls and you know chip and putt and and not play tournaments. I mean, all of practice matters. But playing competitive golf, so I always tell them, I said, look, figure out if you if you feel like you're good enough to play there right away, because I think playing your freshman year is a big deal. And I also, you know, I'm a little biased because the University of New Mexico has a, a great practice facility for the men and women's teams, um, just for them, you know, wedge mm-hmm. area. And I think it's 
I, I think that's fairly important to go to a school. If you're looking to improve not only good golf courses to play, and but the facility, and nowadays pretty much everybody has one, but I like schools that have good facilities where they have their own facility. They have their own golf course. They have their own practice area because that way, you know, you just have that freedom to do it whenever you want. You can go use the facility and you don't have to ask the golf course if you can come and play. So I think that's fairly important as well. No, I think that's a great point because I've they're the ones that that do have their own golf course. I mean, most of them have the facility, but the, to have the access because the, you know not every club is saying, "Oh yeah, welcome ten or fifteen kids out there," and then you got the women's team, so now you're looking at you know, 25, 30 kids out there to play and it, and the members are trying to play. Mm-hmm. So it is nice to have your own golf course. But, you know, when did you decide probably through college when you thought about turning pro and, and trying to get out there on the PGA Tour? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. It was I think it was more a summertime. I won the Pacific Coast Amateur one year. Um, you know, and I always had a good field. I think Fred Couples played that week. Corey Pavin played that week. And so it was more that I never won a college event. So it wasn't really the college, you know, I wasn't winning tournaments in college. And now was like, okay, I, I really want to play on the PGA tour level. It was more when I won that Pacific coast amateur, kind of the light bulb went off like, Hey, you know, this is, first of all, it's really fun to do. And, you know, maybe I do have the potential to do it. Um, so that was kind of what got me going. Um, but you know, it was really, I, after I got out of college and I moved down to Florida, I had a friend living in uh, Naples, Florida, and he's good friends with Ken Venturi, and that's where it really changed for me. I got a job after I got out of college. I went down there. I got a job at the course where Venturi was, you know, his office was and where he played all his golf, and luckily got to know him. That was the whole idea about, you know, going down there in the first place. Um, but I got to know him. I started playing golf with him, and that's when – things really started turning for me and and I knew I I was going to at least have a chance if I did my part you know and played the way I should play that I was going to have a chance to qualify and get out on tour yeah what a great mentor I talked I worked with John Cook a couple weeks ago of course Ken was a big part of his life as well and you kind of need a mentor kind of somebody that you can kind of rely on mine was Bruce Litsky I mean he was kind of my mentor on tour and it's always nice to have somebody like that that's been there done that and kind of leads you along the way but uh Tell us what Q School was like and then when you finally got your card, because it's a lot of different ways and a lot of uh, – you've worked – I think you've even worked the Q School tournament watching, you know, some of the hard oh, yeah. and, and all that. That's a that's a tough week, but uh, what was yours like? <clears throat> well, uh, yeah, it is a tough – I mean, I, I, luckily I was playing good uh, really well when I, when I showed up there um, in the fall of, I guess, 1982, so – but that's really going to date me. But anyway, I, I was playing pretty well when I got there. So I felt like my chances were pretty good. And I got through that first year. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I got out on tour and then, you know, I, I lost my card, went through Q school again, got it back. And, you know, so I've, I've been through that Q school a few times. I, to be honest with you, I don't know, Jim, I think it's harder than ever to, to get your card. I mean, you and I have kind of talked about this, but there are thousands of, of really good players in their 20s, um, early 20s, mid-20s, late-20s that are playing mini-tour golf. Uh, they're playing state opens. They're, and I mean, they're shooting lights-out scores. And, you know, they don't have Corn Ferry Tour status. They obviously don't have PGA Tour status. And I think getting to the PGA Tour is as hard as it's ever been because just getting to the Corn Ferry Tour 
is an accomplishment nowadays because mm-hmm. of the depth of the depth of great players. It's just it makes it really tough for these kids to get all the way to the PGA Tour. Yeah, all you got to do is follow the Monday Qualifier on Twitter, and you see, you know, he does a great job of keeping up with all the the, the scores that they shoot just to qualify for a Corn Ferry Tour event, let alone yeah. play in one. And it, it it is. I think there's more and more of them. There's fewer places to play, uh, but it is. It's probably tougher. Uh, and and I don't know which way is the best way. I mean, I think kind of the way they do it, the Corn Ferry Tour, and you got that whole year under your belt and you kind of prove it for a whole year, but there was nothing like Q school. We've all gone through it. It's a, a nightmare for some. And, and, and I, I don't miss those. Days. I really don't like talking about it. Jim, yeah, let's, right? let's move on to your, let's move on to your win at the Hardys. That's a lot better than Q, Q school, but you know, you got that first win in, in, in uh, Moline and that had to be just so rewarding to get that first win after all the hard work. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that's, you know, that's what they're all looking for out there, you know, is the win. And obviously some players like yourself, you mentioned John Cook. I mean, you guys go on and win and many more. But um, you know, I, I, it, I there's definitely a sense of accomplishment. The fact that you beat the best players in the world, even if it was just that one week, um, which is now the John Deere for me. Um, you know, the, the the hard part is, you know, you you know you you're capable of doing it, and, and I just didn't do it again, and I didn't do it multiple times, like somebody like you or John or, you know, a lot of other guys. So that's the disappointing part for me is that I didn't take advantage of it more than I did. But um, I will say this, there's uh, there's nothing like winning a PGA Tour event and, and holding that trophy on Sunday afternoon. It's a pretty darn good feeling and something you'll always remember. Yeah, in fairness to you, you were hurt a lot. And, you know, you played hurt a bunch. I mean, how difficult – is it to play against the best in the world being hurt, especially your elbow and everything else that you had fallen? Yeah, down? it's crazy. I mean, it's really you, you know to be able to really beat the best players, you, you you have to be able to work at your game, and that's part of the problem. You know, I you, you can't practice like you need to be able to. At least I didn't. I couldn't practice like I needed to be able to really practice to get ready and and be ready to compete at that level. So that. Yeah, I mean that's disappointing, but a lot of guys play hurt. It's just I played plenty. I mean i I had my chances. I played a lot of golf out there on the PGA Tour, and I only won that one time. So, you know, I I look back at it. It's it's more of a me problem than it was anything else. Because I I looked at guy John Cook's a couple years older than me, but you know he's a good buddy of mine. So keep bringing his name up. But I look at what he did. He won eleven tournaments. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> my opportunity was there. I just didn't get the job done and so that's kind of the disappointing disappointing part for me this is always a tricky question but you talked about the best players and now you're covering the best players what separates that elite player or that top player from maybe the rest what makes them so special and you know to me it's sometimes they dig deep and they just you know they want to win at all costs i i think that has something to do with it i do think that there are players that just they handle the moment you know the pressure of that that last 18 holes on Sunday or even the last nine holes on Sunday, they have the ability to handle it better than some of us do. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean, my brother played 600 PGA Tour events, and he only won once. And so, you know, there's, nowadays, I maybe it's guys, you know, maybe they don't hit it far enough. Or, you know, I, you look at what Lexi Thompson did mm-hmm. just this last, you know, two days ago. She's she's got a five shot lead at one point, 
eventually, you know, putting's going to matter. You're going to have to make some putts on Sunday to, to win. You can be great in, in all the strokes gained statistical categories until late on Sunday, and then the putter has to do its job. And, it, and as well as she played in that Women's U.S. Open, you know, the putter just let her down in the end. And so it's hard to do. It's, yeah. uh, I think everything has to be good, but I think the mental side of it and how they handle it on Sundays uh, separates a lot of the multiple winners. The guys, especially guys that they have fantastic talent. You look at guys that have won 20 times or more on the PGA Tour, guys who you and I know, guys like Lanny Watkins and Johnny Miller, and we got to work with those guys. I mean, these guys are different, and, and they're tough mentally, and I think that has a lot to do with why they won so much. No, absolutely. I mean, in that era, it was a tough era, and there's just so many talented players, but it is. It's that, you know, will to win and, and just find a way to get it done under the pressure. But you turned to TV. What got you to get into TV, and how would you get started in, in that? Well, first of all, I was very fortunate. You know, I I – it was a um, you know Keith Hertzland who you know and have worked mm-hmm. under. Um, he was kind of the lead producer at the time uh, in the late '90s at the Golf Channel, and he knew that I had been hurt and knew that I was struggling to get back out on the PGA Tour. And, and he basically came up to me. I was at a Corn Ferry Tour event playing in Pro Am one day, and he asked me if I had any interest in. And he was cruising by in a cart. He goes, "Hey, do you have any interest in doing some TV?" And I was like. I don't know anything about TV, you know, and he, and so he invited me to to try it, and that's kind of where it all started. And then he he and the guys that were in charge, Bob Greenway and uh, Tony Tony Tortorici, uh, those three guys were kind of in charge at Golf Channel at the time, and they offered me a job to start doing it. And at the time, I was pretty broken down as far as physically with the the problems that I was having uh, with my elbows. And, so it was good timing for me, and I, you know, was lucky enough to to get the chance to do it, and have hung in there for for quite a while. So your training sounds about like ride. yeah, your training's about like mine. Here's a mic, go talk and try to figure it out. You know, just make don't make a fool of yourself. Something Reimer would tell yeah. us. Something Reimer would tell yeah. us is part of his. Uh, but you're the main analyst for the NCAA's. We mentioned that you were there again uh, this past uh, couple weeks ago when Ole Miss won uh, the women's event, first time their national championship ever, and any women's uh, sports but uh and then the men's followed but it's really changed a lot now that it's gone on tv and the match play and you've seen some pretty impressive talent come through there is there any i mean they're all tough because you've been doing them for several years it was really amazing to see how these young people can handle it how they handle themselves under the pressure uh and and we saw pepperdine who was the best team last year have the whole season wipe out and come back to win this year it had to be pretty special to be part of that and watch them do that is a very deep solid team yeah, and I think the the key word there is deep. You know, they had two guys that didn't even really make the team at NCAA's that had won tournaments in the past year for Pepperdine, and they weren't even on the five. So they were extremely deep. They're all really good players, and I think that was a key for them because once they got to match play, you really – there wasn't a guy on their five that you looked at and say, okay, I'm going to put one of my best players against him because I know we're going to win a point. There just wasn't a guy like that on Pepperdine's team. Um, they were well coached. And, and you know, the, the poise that these guys show, I think it's really impressive. I think it's way better than when you and I were in college. I, 
I feel like these guys are more composed. They have a better game plan in their head of how they want to attack things. And, um, you know, when things don't go their way, I don't see, you know, I don't see the, the huge emotional outburst. Like I get it in college. I just don't see that stuff. So I just think the coaching is really good. And, you know, they're just so many good players in college right now. And Oklahoma, to their credit, they had a, a heck of a team, number one team in the country um, this year. And Ryan Hibble does an unbelievable job there at Oklahoma. But their best player, when when, when your first team All-America player can't find a fairway and is playing his worst golf of the year, you know you're in trouble. And that's yeah. what happened to them. Garrett Reban was in a bad place with his golf swing. And when you're playing on a desert golf course and there's lost ball on both sides of those par fours and par fives off the tee, you know, it just is, you just can't play good golf that way. And that really hurt Oklahoma not having their best player playing solid golf. How do you think these coaches continue to bring these same, I mean, it's not the same teams, but they're back in, again and back again. We look at Larry Penley that just retired after his 38th year, 37 years, or 37 out of 37 to the NCAAs, 30 times of the national championship. How do they continue year after year? Is it just, and they just get some of the best players, and it's a very competitive yeah. market. How are they able to do that year after year? That, I think that's the key. They, you know, they're the recruiting. You've got to recruit good players, and you have to have something there at that school for them to come, and I think when you talk in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, you know, you're you're talking uh, Pepperdine now, um, you know, Texas, um, Illinois. A lot of times we're talking about those guys. We know those coaches pretty well, and they're really the, they're the top notch top notch coaches. It seems like, and at Georgia, you know, you got Chris Hack down there. I, I just think that. When a player, if he's good enough coming out of high school and, and that top-level junior golf, and he's looking at these schools, and if he if he wants to compete and try to win a national title while he's there, you know, unfortunately for a lot of schools, they're looking at those schools that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's a, if you go somewhere else, I mean, they're going to put together pretty good teams, but are they going to be five deep like Pepperdine was this year, you know? Yeah. So... Well, you I think coaching matters. I think the guy, those guys that are those top-notch coaches at those half a dozen really great schools, at least the way it is right now, I mean, they have an edge. I, we were talking about that. The coaching has really changed. A, a lot of times when we were playing, the coach was just there to get you from A to B. Uh, but these guys are a lot of them former players, and they really they take it serious. These kids work out; they, it's a, it's a job for them. Uh, what do you mm -hmm. think the match play format now? Do you think that's going to maybe? Of course, there's a lot of international players. Do you think that helps maybe some of the American kids maybe for future Ryder Cup or Presidents Cup? Do you think that helps them in the long run? Yeah, it can't hurt. Plus, you know, I just I just ran into a couple tour players today, and and they both mentioned how much they enjoy watching the college golf because of the match play. So I think from the TV end of it, it's been a home run personally. I mean, there I'm sure there are some coaches out there that don't like the match play because, you know, a few years ago, Oklahoma State came in and just killed it in the stroke play portion and won by, you know, they, they, they would have won the stroke play by a million shots and then got beat in match play. But, I think the match play is a really good format for college golf. It's good for TV. We've been lucky, Jim. You know mm. this. 
we've had matches that are keep going to the 18th hole that are going to decide, you know, who advances to the next round or who's going to win the national title. And I think that's a really good drama. So I think both ways for, for the kids themselves, I think it's good to experience it. It's something different. Um, it could benefit them if they're good enough someday to make a Ryder cup team. But I also think it's been really good for the TVN. Well, you mentioned Stanford women's were kind of running away with the medal play and got beat in the first round as well. You're, you're right. It just, it's the beauty. It's the hit. Of, it's like we were sitting in the studio. It's the first time I've got to really get to cover it this year. And, you know, what do you think? I said, it's coming down to the last match. It always does. I mean, it's easy to pick that. I don't know which match it's going to be, but it's going to come down to one of the last holes because what I noticed, and, and I, I think I counted it up. I'm trying to go by memory. In those, in that, the men's final, there were 47 different lead changes in those five matches. If, you know, that was just it was up and down and up and down. You could never kind of yeah. relax. And I think that's the beauty of match play. I think that's why everybody loves to watch it. And and I think that's why we love it in the Ryder Cup and we love it in the Presidents Cup. Of course, you have some national thing there, but it's. I think it's just a lot of that, just one on one. Don't you think that? A lot of people that are watching that at home, they're, they're you know, they, that's what the, the, the games that they play at their home club with their, you know, maybe they have a couple groups that get together every Wednesday and Saturday or whatever it is. They, you know, they play a lot of match play. You know, they, usually there's not a, a low score kind of thing. Usually it's, it's team match play or they play individual matches. And so I think it's just a really popular format. The key is TV-wise is to get those matches to the 18th hole. Yeah. So they don't end on 14 or 15 and and blow it out for TV. But um, I think it's been a home run. Yeah, I try to get these coaches to tell me how they pick the uh, matchups, and they won't give me any of their secrets. So I'm still working on that. Just you know, some of them just put them all five out there. Some match them up, and like for Pepperdine, they could have put them in any order they wanted. But uh, your brother and my brother, both little brothers, have challenged us. And one of these days, we're going to have to play them. Of course, the more I keep away from golf, the less chance we have to play. But. uh, and I, I quit usually. I only play about 12 holes, so my score is always pretty good. Just before I run out of balls. Right. So we ought to be a great team. But uh, I appreciate you being with us. I know you got some grandbabies to take care of, uh, and always enjoy working with you and catching up with you. And we appreciate you being part of the podcast today. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you called me. I'm glad you asked me, Jim. I enjoyed it. All right, buddy. Yeah, remember, whether in life or golf, you may have only one shot. You got to make it count. You're making it count uh, on TV, and you're making it count uh, with your family. So enjoy some time off. All right, I appreciate it. Same to you. All right, bye. Flying down that levee road, trying to see how fast you go. I got my baby along for the ride. This forever far as I can see. At least that's what I want to believe, girl. As the sun sets in your eyes. Some things never change But some things stay the same Like the blues, the truth The night I fell for you Is everything that I've become yeah. A sign